live from my man cave in Chesapeake, Virginia, this is MLS Gone Wild. I'm your host, Blake, here to bring you the latest news, rumors, opinions, analytics, interviews, and all things MLS and American soccer. Let's get it going. Hello and welcome to MLS Gone Wild, episode 93. This is your host, Blake. On this week's episode of MLS Gone Wild, I am joined by the 19th ranked player on this year's coveted MLS 22 under 22 list. U20 U.S. Youth Men's National Team player, the league leader at his position in tackles per 90, the youngest player to ever start an MLS Cup final, MLS Cup champion, and the hardest working player for the hardest working team in America, Columbus Crew homegrown, Aiden Morris. Aiden, welcome back to MLS Gone Wild, man. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. Excited. Let's do it. It's been a while. How you been? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm in Dallas right now. It was a long season, so. Not off yet. We're still working right now, but I'll go home to Florida here soon and spend time with family. What a wonderful segue that was. The 2022 MLS season has come to a close, but like you said, the grind doesn't stop for you. Your successful season earned you a call up to the U-20 U.S. men's national team October, November training camp in Frisco, Texas that coincides with the final U.S. men's national team camp for MLS-based players before the World Cup kicks off in less than three weeks. So first of all, Aiden, obviously, congratulations. And how's camp been so far for you? And what does it mean to you to get the call to come represent your country, even if it is just for training? No, it means a lot. I mean, I've, I love this country. I always, uh, I know what it means to represent this country, no matter if it's just training or whether it's a game. But yeah, no, I'm enjoying, I'm learning so much. Um, and it's also kind of being around it. You're being around guys who are going to the World Cup and they're going to represent a whole entire nation and go play in the biggest kind of competition in the whole entire world. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been awesome to be here and just be around guys who are going to and see the energy and see a level and, and the detail of everything. It's been awesome. So I'm just soaking it all in right now. What's like a day in the life in Frisco been like for you? Wake up, train, come back. Sometimes there's been gym one time, but other than that, just relax and do it again. <laughs> Nothing crazy. Go out, get a nice dinner or something. So, so you're in camp with guys like, Jordan Morris, Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola, all mm-hmm. those guys that are on the verge and, you know, Christian Roldan as well on the verge of going to Qatar to play for the U S men's national team. Uh, but their ticket is still kind of up in the air. They still have to earn that. Have any of those guys really stood out to you? Um, I think they all kind of are good in their own way. I think they all bring this different energy and their different level. And I think they all kind of give something different to the team that I think it needs. Um, I mean, Rodan's kind of as experienced as a guy as it gets, he kind of seen it all um and Paul you know he's always going to do what you tell him to do he's he's so technical he just is all about the fundamentals making good runs behind so I mean all of them kind of provide something different I mean both center backs are athletic as it gets you know facing kind of the best players in the world they're going to be great to have in the back line to kind of keep up with those guys so I mean everyone kind of provides something different so yeah they've been good is there any banter between yourself and Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris considering you know you won 2020 MLS Cup yeah, I mean, I think that was kind of long overdue. I think if there's still banter about that, then I don't know. But, I mean, I, they've just asked about it and stuff. Not asked, but just vaguely talked about it, touched on the subject. But I don't got much to say about it. It's, it's done. You got to give it to him, man. 3-0? Come on now. <laughs> so the last time we spoke on this podcast back in 2020, you were just a raw, talented rookie looking for opportunities to get more minutes. Little did either of us know that later that season, you'd become the youngest player to ever start in MLS Cup final and help the Columbus crew hoist their second title in club history. 
2021 looked like it was going to be your breakout season until you were sidelined for the entire year due to an ACL tear and a CCL match versus Real Esteli. Mm -hmm. Considering your success in MLS Cup and how hopeful your sophomore season looked to be, what was it like mentally and emotionally to have your entire 2021 season torn away from you, quite literally, before it even got started? Yeah, it was tough. I think in the moment, I mean, it's just natural to kind of just look at the negatives of everything and be like, all right, this sucks. Like, this is such an opportunity, a year filled with so many opportunities. And, and you saw it, like so many guys got injured and there was always a midfield kind of spot lacking. So I think when you look at it in that perspective, um, it sucks for sure. But I think in the bigger, bigger kind of view of things, everything happens for a reason. That's something I try to follow. So I learned so much. I could say I've, I'm a different man now. I'm growing up so much and I've learned so much about myself and what it takes and the little details of preparing for a match, not only physically, but mentally. So I think I came out of it in, in a good position, in a good spot. I said this before the podcast and I didn't get to send you the show notes because it was kind of last minute, but it's like you're reading my show notes right now. Perfect segue. So nine months away from the game feels like an eternity. I've been there. I've torn my ACL in college as well. So while everyone else is you know, continuing to train, play, and stay sharp on the pitch, you have to find ways to stay sharp off of it. While you were working on physically rehabbing to get back on the field, what did you do to continue to grow and improve your soccer IQ and understanding of the game and obviously understanding of yourself as well? Yeah, I think the game, first of all, I mean, when you're not playing, what are you doing? You're just watching it. So I think I was kind of just watching the game all the time. I just had a different perspective sitting up top in the press box and just always looking down from a different angle and seeing different spaces. And, and when you're watching it all the time, the game looks so simple. It's crazy. You're like, all right, like, why don't I just turn there? Why don't I just play this pass there? Like, oh, this is easy. Um, but I knew that wasn't going to be the case when I, when I jumped back into things, but I mean, it just gave me kind of a, a cool way to look at things um, through a new lens and kind of slowing the brain down in my own mind. And, you know, just focusing more on like, I loved Y scout. I'll just stick on guys on Y scout and watch individual touches, everything. Um, I love watching Darlington's clips. Um, so it was kind of like a lot of that. And then mentally, I just picked up different things, you know, just, just kind of like different vision stuff, different uh, like meditation stuff. So kind of everything. So that's something Jordan Angeli has spoken about a couple of times on different podcasts I've listened to about you and your visualizations before games. Can you go a little bit deeper into what that looks like for you? Yeah. Um, I mean, it's nothing really crazy. I just like, wherever I'm at, whatever stadium I'm at, I like to go out there before the game and just kind of like stand in the middle of the park where I'm going to be playing and where I'm going to be working and just say, all right, when I get the ball here, I'm going to turn, do this, do that. And I kind of just like walk through it. You know what I mean? I'm not obviously running everywhere, but I'm just walking through it and just making sure I'm checking my shoulders, like doing little things like that. And that's just like a habit. I just kind of like when I was injured as well, like wherever I went, I was just biking. I just like to see if I can find people behind me um so it's kind of like a habit now like I'm sitting at parks now it's so bad like it'd be bad neck pains and I'll just be like <laughs> listen to my book and I'll just be like checking my shows like seeing if I could spot people on the other side so it's just like little stuff like that I like to do to kind of prep myself it's just like I think preparation just builds confidence um so I think that's why I do it yeah that's huge knowing what you're going to do with the ball before you get it that you know goes yeah. all the way back to your preparation beforehand you're talking yeah. about you know checking your shoulder all the time that's that 360 awareness and that's something that you noticed in your game this year for sure. So February 26th, this year, 2022, 320 long days after tearing your ACL, you returned to the field as a second half sub versus Vancouver. What was that moment like for you? What emotions did you feel in anticipation of making your return? 
Yeah, that was probably the weirdest game I've ever played in my life. Seriously. I wasn't focused on the soccer at all. Like, I couldn't even tell you what I did, what I didn't do. Like, <laughs> it was just like I talked to Caleb about it after, and I was just like, wow. Like, I didn't even know what I was thinking. I was just so emotional the whole entire game. I felt like I, mean, I played in a lot of games this year, and there wasn't a game there. I was like, oh, my God, the fans are so loud. And to where, like, it was just because I was so heightened on everything. And, you know, the game just felt like it was going so fast, and I was just so emotional. So, yeah, it was obviously a special moment for me, but it was a weird one at the same time. It's mm-hmm. always nice to see a player bounce back from a, a season-long ending injury and, and yeah. come back and, and be stronger yeah. than ever. And so yeah. after making a return in the opening game of the season, you went on to play 1,811 minutes across 27 matches and 20 starts. As always, you guys know I have to come with the numbers. Let's start with Aiden's defensive numbers. Aiden, you were first in the entire league at your position in tackles per 90. Kudos to you there. Second on the team in successful tackles and tied for second in blocks. Your defensive presence in the midfield yielded the highest plus minus and most points per game of any player on the team that played 1,000 minutes or more. Talk to me about your role in the preferred 4-2-3-1, specifically your pressing and defensive duties alongside Darlington, and how you think your style of play led to so much team success. Um, I mean, obviously, first of all, it takes a collective. You know, I think everyone kind of – I have so many guys in the team who I kind of always can go to, and, and they help me out with, with whatever I need in terms of soccer or just life. So I think that kind of helped me a lot. Um, and I'm still growing, man. I'm still growing. I'm still learning. I'm um, still trying to get a lot better. I need to get a lot better on that multiple things. But I think this year was kind of – was just building relationships with people. I think that was the biggest thing, um, was just building relationships with Darlington. I love playing along that side. He's, like, one of my best friends on the team. So just every single game, we just make it our objective just to kill everyone in the midfield. And that's just on the ball, and that's without the ball, and we just run the show. And no matter what, we just say, let's run the show. Um, and that's what we can control. And, and where stuff like that and also I mean I just always try to go in there and just give it my all for the team you know what I mean whether that's a block in the 90th minute or whether that's just being clean and simple the whole entire game whatever it was it just I just try to kind of execute that so there was a competition in the midfield alongside Darlington Agby this year between you and Artur can you talk to me a little bit about what that competition was like um I think competition's good seriously I think it's um makes both sides better, both parties better. So I think, I mean, I would have great games and I wouldn't start the next game. And then I would be like, all right, like I just need to keep playing well. I need to play better than the last game. So I think it was stuff like that where it was just like, it kept me pushing for more. You know what I mean? In terms of like, if I keep playing every game, I play good, I just get comfortable. And that's like the, that's the biggest drug in the world is to to get comfortable. So I think for me, it was just like, all right, I'm just going to keep working. And if I have a good game, I'll have a better game the next time. So it just kept me, um, moving in the right direction so a moment ago i touched on you having the highest plus minus on the team the highest points per game of any player that's played over a thousand minutes on the team decision day you didn't get the start what were your thoughts on that it's not my decision man seriously it's the coaches coach puts out the lineup i mean i would love to have been out there don't get me wrong i think i would have helped the team for sure at the end of the day he makes the calls and all i can do is just be ready when my name's calling i just try to do that unfortunately it didn't come out the right way but all I can say is I wish I was out there from the get-go and maybe it would have been different, but I don't know. Can't live in the past, right? Yeah. So in addition to your work on the defensive side of the ball, you had a pretty good year offensively in possession as well. You were first on the team in switches and top five in progressive passes, passes into the final third and passing percentage. 
at this young point in your, your career, a lot of your recognition is coming from what we talked about a few moments ago, being your defensive ability and work rate. But what parts of your attacking game are you still working to improve? Everything, dude. Seriously, everything. Um, just I think for me, the biggest thing I've worked on with Donaldson is kind of just like timing of things. You know what I mean? Like when to try something, when to not try something. Um, read the rhythm of the game. You, you know, when you're out there, you kind of get this vibe and you can feel it. Um, like, all right, like it's time to slow it down. You know what I mean? Chino's a guy who's always going to try stuff. Lucas is always going to try stuff. He's always going to try the ball in behind. It's where, like, sometimes if I get it, all right, just complete the simple one to where it's, like, stuff like that and just reading the rhythm and the flow of the game is so important. And I'm still learning. There's so many things in my game I still want to learn and get better and just kind of offensively, for sure, scoring goals and getting assists. That's what I need to do, and I realize that. So next year you'll see some of that for sure. All right. I, the one shot on target this year, Aiden. I need more, man. <laughs> Tell me about it, dude. It's driving me. It's driving my, my dad's always giving me crap about it. I'm sure oh parents just want you to score goals. They're like, hey, you can put all those passes, but the, the point of playing soccer is to score goals, right? For sure, dude. Tell me about it. I'm, yeah, I need to work on it. I'll get some goals next year. Watch. Yeah. Parents it. don't necessarily understand the roles in which you're playing, right? No, but they're not wrong. I mean, I played 27 games. I should have a goal, right? <laughs> so. So you've proven that you can be that pivot man, you know, probably the guy that your dad doesn't want you to be, wants you to be the guy scoring goals. You can swing the ball from side to side. You can dictate rhythm, put out fires where you need to, and you can get stuck into tackles, all the good things necessary to be a good six. But you've also shown an increasing ability to play a little bit higher up the field, maybe not super offensive, but you can hunt the ball and facilitate transition moments. What position do you think better suits your skill set, the six or the eight? I think it depends. Uh, this is kind of a tricky one for me. It kind of depends on what guys are around me. Um, I think a guy like Donaldson, I think he's so good at being the six and just sitting in there and getting the ball. Um, and to where I'm like me, if you want me a little bit higher up to go kind of win tackles. And Donaldson's a different tackle than me. He kind of like, he'll never get beat, but he's never, he'll never kind of try to go and really, really exert himself to go win it. Um, that's just his style. It's not the wrong thing. It's just how he goes about it. And, and for me, like I'll do, a, I'll go lunch for everything. So I think, um, it's just different. Whatever guys are around me, I think it kind of dictates where I am on the field. So you've mentioned Darlington a lot. Like, obviously, he has a huge impact on you on the field, and he's, you know, helping shape you into the player that you're becoming. What about off the field? How is he shaping you into, you know, a professional and a person as well? Oh, he's my bro, man. Seriously. I, every single morning I'm, when we're getting treatment, we're sitting there and we're just talking for an hour every day, 30 minutes. So. Uh, we've gone out to eat this year as well just hung out and talked and he's just like for me like we both just get it you know what I mean we understand it we think the same we, we go about things the same and to have a guy like that who kind of I can just talk to about anything we kind of both see life and and soccer the same way and a guy like him and his status and his career who's done it all basically I mean it's it's amazing you know what I mean all I can do is just pick his brain every single day and and to where like this year I mean like there have been times where we're just like, we're just like, all right, let's go time. Let's go. Let's do it. And whether we're losing the game at a time, like the Red Bull game, I looked at him. We were losing. We were like, all right, dude, let's go. It's game time, baby. That's where it is now. We got to take control. And we literally took control and we came back and we won it. It's where it was like stuff like that, where it was just, I mean, I just love playing with this guy, dude. That's all I can say. So it sounds like Darlington's almost turning you into you know, a bit of a leader as well. Would you consider yourself a leader amongst this team? A young leader? Yeah, I, th I, I know my role for sure. I mean, I know I'm young and I know there's a lot of guys in the team who kind of been around the league for a while. So I think I understand my role. But I think when it comes onto the field, I don't, I don't hold anything back. Um, 
whether it's calling people out, whether it's just kind of like saying whatever to kind of get the team to win, I'll do it. But I mean, that stuff takes time, but I'm ready to be a leader. So, so yeah. yeah. Whether or not you're that vocal leader or not, you're definitely leading by example with your pressing, with your tackling and all those defensive stats. I said earlier in your work rate and your ground coverage, all those things, your teammates are watching and they want to put in that same effort. Yeah, for sure. So I know I said earlier that this is your third professional season and technically it is, but this is your first season playing significant minutes. So looking back at this past season, what can you take away? What did you learn from your first full season as a pro? Yeah, I think in the MLS kind of strictly, I think you just get to understand the league. You know what I mean? I think I understand. I mean, there's still so much to learn, but I just know where guys are going to press me from for the most part. I know I'm going to have a little bit of time on the ball. I know there's kind of different styles and different teams or different midfields. I know like part of it is just learning personnel. You know what I mean? Just this guy does this, this guy does that. Um, yeah, I think it's just building comfort. You know what I mean? When you're on the field, knowing you could do it every single day, week in and week out. I think it's, yeah, I think it's that. It just brings me confidence uh, at the end of the year. That's I think that's what I developed and confidence in myself and knowing that no matter what, if I'm not having a great game offensively, I'll be able to do it defensively. If I'm not having a great defensively, I'll be good offensively. And, to where it's not about having just great games and then bad games, just keeping consistent, good games, good games, great games, great games, good, great, good, great. Um, to where like, if you keep that little steady line going up, then that's always good. So okay. uh, do you have a favorite moment or memory from this season? I think, um, I think Cincy home was really cool. I think that was one of the few games this year where I felt like we just, Obviously, I think we dominated most of our games we were in, but I think that was the one game where we dominated and, and, and the scoreline showed. So I think that was really cool, and especially it was a rivalry, and it was a little bit rainy, and the fans were all there. They were ready to go. So I think that was a cool one for me. So Yeah, yeah that was a great one from a fan's perspective as yeah. well. So we touched on, you know, you wanting to have more shots on target next year, you know, maybe a goal or two. Do you have any uh, goals specifically for 2023? I think I kind of go over that when I'm home in Florida. I kind of like to think about that stuff. But no, whatever. I think I already touched on it early. Just score goals, man. Just get in the box, make things happen. Yeah, I mean, just be the best midfield in the league. I guess I'll say that. Hey, you're on your you're on your way there, man. Yeah, no, that's what I want to do. So first and tackles per ninety at your position. I'll take it. It's pretty good. Got to do more though. That's not enough. So love that mentality, man. That's a killer mentality about you. All right, so hell of a season individually for you, but we need to address the elephants in the room. First one being the crew's inability to protect leads. The crew dropped 11 points in the 90th minute or later and 24 points total from winning positions. Aiden, that's probably hard to hear. So I ask you why. Was it tactics, mentality, personnel, coaching, a combination of all that? What went wrong at the end of games for the Columbus crew? I think you said a combination of everything. I mean, the biggest thing is just having that dog mentality of just finding ways to close games out. Um, no matter what it takes, throwing your body in the line, doing this or that, um, I think is is obviously the most important thing is the mentality. Um, but there's a lot of things, you know, I mean, every game was kind of different and what kind of went wrong and what slipped away from us at kind of the late stuff. But I don't believe in luck, especially when it keeps happening. So all I can say is that next year won't be happening. I can say that. That's for sure. And we just, I think the other thing was just like, we were up one nothing or we're up 2-1, just like getting that next goal and creating that little separation, I think was so important. Just 
closing out games with a one goal lead was always tough, um, especially if we know that team. So like just finishing opportunities, not saying that they didn't, um, but I think that was a big reason. Just not saying we lacked a good finishers or anything, but just having that mentality, just, all right, let's just finish the game off. Let's just kill it right here. So yeah, that goes for everyone though, seriously. So that's what I'll say about it. So for crew fans who didn't listen to last week's podcast, I had Andre Shinyashiki on the, on the show. And I asked him about his last goal of the season, which just so happened to be the game tying goal against the Columbus crew late in the game, right before decision day. And I asked him, I said, Andre, were you aware of the Columbus crew's you know, inability to close out games? And he yeah. said, Oh yeah. And then I scored and I said to myself, I can't believe they did it again. Yeah. No, I mean, I couldn't believe it happened again. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, it was, I don't even know what to say. I had so many of those moments this year. Where it was just like, God, we got it for sure. We, especially in Montreal it was crazy when we were up to nothing, um, questionable red card decision. But after that, it was just like, oh my gosh, here we go again. Uh, and that's the thing that's tough. You know, you watch all these MLS games and it's like, like, watching a team like Philly, like we played them for 90 minutes and we were killing them. Um, and then they just go on and they're in the MLS Cup final now. Um, so it's like, it's interesting, but that's soccer though, that's sports. Let me ask you, what does that do to your mentality, giving up those late leads? Like when you guys are up one goal or it's tied going into the last 10 minutes of the game, is there a sense of nervousness around the team? I think when it kept happening for sure at yeah. the end of the games, I don't think 70 minutes of the game, like no one was thinking about it. Right. You know, and then when it gets to the end and we're like, all right, the pressure's on, then it's like, all right, here we go again. Hopefully, all right, let's just make sure it doesn't happen again. Then it would happen. And it was just like, oh, geez, Louise. So, yeah. Yeah, it was tough for sure. All right, we'll move on. An eight, well, kind of. An 84th minute penalty kick from Facundo Torres on decision day marked the end of Caleb Porter's coaching career for the Columbus crew. Less than 24 hours after missing the playoffs for the third time in four years, Caleb Porter was fired. Did this decision come as a surprise to yourself and the team, or had Caleb lost the confidence in the locker room as the season came to a close? Um, that's a spicy one, dude. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I'm involved in any of the front office stuff to know the timing of things and, and when he was ready to go when he wasn't. Um, I mean, I can say from my perspective that I appreciate him a lot. You know, he's giving me my opportunities. He's giving me my opportunities to play. He's, I wouldn't be at this camp right now if it weren't for him. So when I look at it in my own eyes, I appreciate him. Um, he's played me all these games this year. And then for the team, I don't know. I think kind of everyone has different views. on. I mean, it's a workplace. You know what I mean? Some people, not everyone likes their boss. And that's just part of it. I mean, he won us a title. He won us a Campionas Cup. So we appreciate him for sure. But in the timing of things and when it, whether he was ready to go or not, whether what they were planning, I couldn't tell you to. I just put my head down and I just keep working. And for the other guys, I, I couldn't tell you either. All right. So the search for the next Columbus crew head coach has begun. As a player that is a big part of the, the club's future, what qualities are you looking for in the next Columbus crew head coach? It's tough. I think it's um, obviously good people skills. I think that's so important. A guy who can go around the locker room and everyone appreciates him and understands he's coming from a good place. I think that's important. Someone who understands our team and the style we play and and the players we have, um, the personnel and and you know what I mean just we have a locker room of guys who have been around the league for a while and they and they like to express themselves, like to express their opinions and 
And I think that's important to have that kind of healthy, you know, feedback and, you know, let's just work through things. I think that's important. But I think we're, we're a team who's just full of just technical guys who can just play and keep the ball on the ground and, and just go at goal for 90 minutes. Um, so I think kind of bringing that style out would be ideal. Uh, but I kind of, I trust him, Bez. So I'm sure he'll get the job done with the right guy. I hope so, man. And, and we should be hearing something soon from the Hopefully. front office. Hopefully. But hey, good things take time, though. So that's true. You got to find the right one. No, we're not rushing. That's right. All right, Aiden, any final thoughts for the crew fans that have listened to today's interview? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I guess I would like to say thank you for everything this season. I know it kind of wasn't ended the way we wanted it to a lot of stuff we need to do better. And we realized that, but we're a team who loves to win titles. So we'll go out there and do it next year. Uh, so, yeah. Big 2023 incoming for Aiden Morris and hopefully for our beloved Columbus crew, Aiden, man. Thanks for hopping back on MLS Gone Wild for the second time. Thanks for having me, man. That was fun. Listeners, thanks for tuning into MLS Gone Wild, episode 93, featuring Columbus Crew homegrown Aiden Morris. I'll have one more episode dropping in the upcoming days, previewing this Saturday's MLS Cup final between the Philadelphia Union and LAFC. But this about wraps up my 2022 coverage of the Columbus Crew and the league in general. I appreciate everyone's support. And I look forward to providing you with authentic interviews and analysis in 2023. Until then, you guys take care of yourselves and one another. And remember the name, Aiden Morse.